what we what we witnessed yesterday was not dissent. It was not disorder. It was not protest. It was chaos. They weren't protesters. Don't dare call them protesters. They were a riotous mob. Insurrection. Message carried. That basic is that simple. I wish we could say we couldn't see it coming. But that isn't true. We could see it coming. The past four years we've had a president who's made his contempt for our democracy, our constitution, the rule of law, clear in everything he has done. He unleashed an all-out assault on our institutions of our democracy from the outset. And yesterday was but the culmination of that unrelenting attack. He's attacked the free press who dared to question his power, repeatedly calling the free press the enemy of the people. Language, at the time he first used it, I and others said, has long been used by autocrats and dictators all over the world to hold on to power, the enemy of the people. Language that is being used now by autocrats and dictators across the world, only this time with the imperator of an outgoing president of the United States of America. He's attacked our intelligence service, who dared tell the American people the truth about the effort of a foreign power to elect him four years ago, choosing instead to believe the word of Vladimir Putin over the word of those who've sworn their allegiance to this nation, many of whom have risked their lives in the service of this nation. He deployed the United States military, tear-gassing peaceful protesters in pursuit of a photo opportunity in the service of his re-election, even holding the Bible upside down. The action that led to an apology from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and an outspoken denunciation of the use of military for domestic political purposes from scores, scores of former military leaders and secretaries of defense, led by Secretary Cheney. He thought he could stack the court with friendly judges who would support him no matter what. They were Trump's judges, his judges. He went so far as to say he needed nine justices on the Supreme Court because, because he thought the election would end up in the Supreme Court, and they would hand him the election. He was stunned, truly stunned, when the judges he appointed ditched his bidding and said acted with integrity, following the Constitution, upholding the rule of law, not just once or twice or three times, but over 60 times. Let me say it, over 60 times. In more than 60 cases, state after state after state, and then at the Supreme Court, judges, including people considered, quote, his judges, Trump's judges, used his words, looked at the allegations that Trump was making, and determined they were without any merit. Nothing was judged to put this election in question or doubt by any of these judges. 
to understand the importance of democratic institutions in this country, take a look at the judiciary in this nation. Take a look at the pressure that has just subjected to by a sitting president of the United States of America. At every level, the judiciary rose to the moment during this election, did its job, acted with complete fairness and impartiality, with complete honor and integrity. When history looks back on this moment that just, we've just passed through, I believe it will show our democracy survived in no small part because of the men and women who represent an independent judiciary in this nation. We owe them a deep, deep debt of gratitude. Remember the attack on the Department of Justice. Treating the Attorney General as his personal lawyer and the Department as his personal law firm. Through it all, we will hear the same thing from the, this President. My General. My Judges. My Attorney General. And then yesterday, a culmination of an attack on our institutions of democracy. This time, the Congress itself inciting a mob to attack the Capitol, to threaten elected representatives of the people of this nation, and even the Vice President, to stop the Congress from ratifying the will of the American people in a just completed free and fair election. Trying to use a mob to silence the voices of nearly 150 million Americans who summoned the courage in the face of a pandemic that threatened their health and their lives to cast that sacred ballot. I made it clear from the moment I entered this race that what I believe was at stake. I said there was nothing less and who we are as a nation, what we stand for, what we believe, what we will be. At the center of that belief is one of the oldest principles this nation has long held. We are a government of laws, not of men, not of the people, of laws. I said it many times in the campaign. Our democratic institution is not relics of another age. But what sets this nation apart are the guardrails of our democracy. And there is no president. That's why there is no president who is accused. No Congress as the House of Lords. A judiciary doesn't serve the will of the president or exist to protect him or her. We have three co-equal branches of government. Co-equal. Our president is not above the law. Justice serves the people. It doesn't protect the powerful. Justice is blind. We saw yesterday, in plain view of another violation of the fundamental tenets of this nation, not only did we see the failure to protect one of the three branches of our government, we also saw a clear failure to carry out equal justice. Should we used to say in the term, see between personal privilege, a little over an hour and a half after the chaos started, I got a text from my granddaughter, Finnegan Biden, who was senior in the last semester at the University of Pennsylvania. 
He sent me photos of military people in full military gear, scores of them lining the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to tell folks that uh, Black Lives Matter. She said, Pop, this isn't fair. No one can tell me that it had been a group of Black Lives Matter protesters over here. It wouldn't have been. They would have been treated very, very differently than the mob of thugs that stormed the Capitol. Well, we all know that's true. And it is unacceptable, totally unacceptable. The American people saw it in plain view. I hope it sensitizes you to what we have to do. Not many people know that. Justice Garland and I were talking, we talked about, I think he raised it, the reason for the Justice Department forming in the first place. And back in 1870, we didn't have a Justice Department until then, yet. It was formed in 1870 to enforce the Civil Rights Amendment that grew out of the Civil War, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, to stand up to the Klan stand up to racism, to take on domestic terrorism. This original spirit will once again guide and animate this work. So as we stand here today, we do so in the wake of yesterday's events, events that could not or have visibly demonstrated some of the most important work we have to do in this nation, committing ourselves the rule of law in this country, invigorating our domestic and democratic institutions, carrying out equal justice under the law in this country. There's no more important
of the law, we are not a monarchy with a king, as Jamie said, has said over and over again. I want to also thank the members of the Arizona delegation, led by Raul Guajalba, and the Pennsylvania delegation, led by Mike Doyle, the two deans, uh, for the presentations that they made to refute the ridiculous statements being made by our colleagues. For what reason, I don't know, but that wasn't about reason. So I thank them for that. And through all of this this week, our swearing in on Sunday, passing our rule and preparing uh, for Wednesday, as the week began, the election of two Democrats in Georgia because of the overwhelming participation of people at the grassroots level. So many people, I'm so proud of our House members, um, Congresswoman Williams, the chair of the uh, Georgia Democratic Party, Lucy McBath, of, of the um, newly elected Carolyn Bordeaux, uh, uh, David Scott, and Mr. Bishop, who was the dean of that delegation, and Hank Johnson. They had their plan already, should they have objected to Georgia, as did uh, Nevada, as did Michigan, as did Wisconsin. Uh, so we were prepared, members worked hard about defending the Constitution, honoring our purpose uh, to count and ascertain uh, the Electoral College numbers uh, for the presidency. So I was proud of him. And I did uh, over and over again, um, we're very pleased now that we have in 13 days, President Joe Biden, uh, a Democratic House majority, and uh, a Democratic Senate majority that will work to heal, to heal and restore the soul of our nation. We'll choose to close by evoking, as I did last night, the song of St. Francis, our patron saint in San Francisco, whose song of St. Francis is our, our city's anthem, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. There is darkness, may we bring light. Where there is hatred, love, despair, hope, the list goes on. And so does the time for healing uh, take us down a path of unity for our, unity for our country. With that, I'd be pleased to take any questions. Would you um, encourage cabinet members not to resign uh, so that they can invoke the 25th Amendment? No, but let's go over that list. Why wouldn't they, if you're a member of the cabinet, a secretary in the cabinet, you are in the line of succession to the presidency, president, vice president, speaker of the house, senate leader, okay, and then secretary of state. When, just for the information of some, when you have the um, uh, 25th, the, the 25th amendment invoked, that would be calling upon the vice president as we hope to do, to take the lead and with a majority of the cabinet to be able to unseat the President of the United States. A very dangerous person who should not continue in office. This is urgent. This is emergency of the highest magnitude. So, your Pompeo, the Secretary of State, 
you stand by this president dangerously staying in office? Secretary of the Treasury, Mnuchin. What is it? Is it about success in business, labor, or is it, uh, it do you believe in this? Do we have lists? I know it because I, I know it. Um, then uh, the way it goes is St. Saint, Saint the Apple Hoop. That's a mnemonic. Secretary of State. Authority he may have. But he certainly has to answer for where the National Guard was yesterday. Secretary of, then Attorney General. Attorney General Barr, do you subscribe to the presidency of Donald Trump after the act of sedition he committed yesterday? Once again, Nancy Pelosi, obviously on the left, uh, news conference at the Capitol, in, uh, also on the right, uh, Chuck Schumer, current minority leader, soon to be majority leader of the Senate, also uh, meeting reporters are essentially um, making the same argument that members of the Trump cabinet should now begin to move to invoke the provision of the 25th Amendment that would allow the removal of President Trump from office. We'll continue to monitor, but let's go back to uh, the Pelosi news conference, however, and we'll, uh, we'll keep you up to date. Uh, Rosen we spoke to yesterday. Why would he not? Why would he not? As the acting AG. As the acting AG. Um, say this is wrong. There are some courageous Republicans who are speaking out. Secretary of Defense Bill Cohen uh, and others, other defense secretaries who signed the letter even before yesterday about what is going on in the White House and how that is not a good thing for our country. And the message that is sent to the world, a complete tool of Putin, this president is. Putin's, Putin's goal was to diminish the role of de the, the view of democracy in the world. That's what he has been about. And again, his enabler has been Donald Trump for a long time. That's why I said in that photo when I'm leaving his meeting, with you, Mr. President, all roads lead to Putin. Putin wants to undermine democracy. That's what he's about domestically and internationally. And the president gave him the biggest of all of his many gifts to Putin, the biggest gift yesterday. My friends, we are in a very difficult place in our country as long as Donald Trump still sits in the White House.
and he clearly has indicated that over and over again. And by inciting sedition, as he did yesterday, he must be removed from office. While there's only 13 days left, any day can be a horror show for America. So, uh, so the next step would be that Congress, and this can be done quickly, uh, can establish a commission very fast of maybe former presidents, of cabinet people who know something about um, health, the health of the president and the rest, and, uh, and that, that, that group can make its recommendations uh, to the Congress, which they want. Having said that, if that, if that, the best route, the most immediate route would be the vice president uh, to recognize the danger of the Donald Trump presidency and, and take this action. A. B, uh, my members are very much in, interested, as are my phone is exploding with impeach, impeach, impeach. The president must be held accountable again. He likes it.
All right, we'll continue to monitor that news coverage. Let me bring in Casey Hunt right now, who covers Capitol Hill for us, was there uh, during uh, yesterday's uh, riot, uh, reporting from uh, outside the Capitol. Uh, Casey, help us understand what's happening here. We first heard uh, uh, Schumer bring up this idea of the 25th Amendment, and now we're hearing from Nancy Pelosi suggesting they're in contact with members of the cabinet. How far does this move forward? Is it just a request, or do we know if there's active discussions about this? The thing that stuck out to me the most about what we just heard from the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, is that she said she expects potentially to hear from the Vice President today uh, as to whether or not he would be willing to move forward with an attempt to invoke the 25th Amendment. He would, of course, have to start that process, although even if he's willing to start it, there are still uh, many more questions before we get to an answer uh, in terms of how this would play out. Uh, but she said pretty directly, well, we expect to find out soon, yes or no, uh, from Mike Pence if this is a step he's willing to take. So this was a very significant, coordinated, you'll notice, it is extremely rare for the top leaders uh, of, of any party to speak at the same time. They all talk to each other. They all know how the media works. The fact that we're watching all three of them, uh, starting with the president-elect, followed by uh, the two people that are going to be his Democratic leaders, in what is going to be a democratically held Congress uh, once the two Georgia senators are sworn in is very telling. It sends a very strong message that they are all on the same page here. They are trying to convey the urgency of the situation. And Pelosi also raised impeachment as a possibility in the event that the 25th Amendment is not invoked, that Mike Pence decides not to go that route. Uh, I think that sets up the, uh, the, the, the playing field, so to speak, for the current vice president, that, okay, you make a decision one way or the other, uh, we would like you to make this call, uh, but we are prepared to step in uh, if you're not willing to do it. And I think the question, of course, is what are Republicans saying behind the scenes? We know Adam Kinzinger, who has been an outspoken in his opposition to what we have seen unfold the past couple of days, uh, and who was critical of, of President Trump even before the election, although he did say that he voted for President Trump, he came out and he said, you have to invoke the 25th Amendment. He questioned the president's mental fitness uh, to be in office uh, in light of what happened yesterday, the president urging uh, his supporters to march down to the Capitol. And then, of course, the violence that we saw unfold here over the course uh, of the day that put a halt uh, to the Congress's business. So uh, they clearly are trying to send a message to the vice president. And I think now we're waiting, we're reporting out uh, who they are talking to. We have, of course, heard uh, Elaine Chao announcing on Twitter that she plans to step down uh, as Transportation Secretary because uh, of what happened yesterday. Now this potentially relieves her of having to cast a vote in a 25th Amendment context, of having to say one way or the other whether she believes the president is fit to continue to hold office. And of course, uh, we shouldn't remind our viewers of that without also mentioning that she is married to the majority, current majority leader here in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, and they have been uh, a political team uh, for many, many years. So that, of course, is an important uh, piece of context as we think about this, because we are, in fact, watching the Republican Party grapple with what its future looks like. There was incredible pressure on senators last night. Several who planned to object decided after they watched protesters scale the walls, not just of the building, but of the chamber itself, uh, that they couldn't go forward with objecting, that it was simply not an option anymore. But there were some who still went ahead. They went forward with it anyway. They voted to object to the Electoral College. Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley among them, an even larger uh, percentage of Republicans in the House still voted uh, to object to the Electoral College. So uh, 